0: outdooredge.com The new film that you have coming out with the Wild Sheep Foundation, Selective. As the title states, you know, the film is about selective harvest and reclaiming the narrative of what the word trophy really means. And I love this idea of flipping what the script has become. Can you speak a little bit more about that?
1: Yeah, the idea is trophy hunting is selective hunting. You know, the word itself is is what's been demonized and taken and twisted and The aha moment for me is selective hunting is meat hunting, and it is the guy that wants to go out and kill the biggest animal. As long as you're doing it for reasons that benefit the wildlife, it brings us back together as we're just hunters. And we're working together for the wildlife, not individual goals. I'm gonna tell you what trophy hunting is and how beautiful it is and why it was beautiful then and why it's beautiful today the more we think about it and embrace it i think the wildlife will benefit that's really that's really the message
0: welcome to the range podcast i'm ricky Bruley and with me is jake hollywood iverson join us at the archery range where we'll tell stories from the hunt discuss technical bow shooting tactics and gear and pick the brains of some of the most successful people to ever shoot a bow whether you're about to shoot that x for the win or send an arrow at a trophy buck, this podcast is for you. The Range Podcast is brought to you by Vapor Trail Archery. Makers of the best bowstrings money can buy, originators of limb-driven arrow rest technology, and innovators of stokerized stabilizer systems. Welcome to The Range, everybody. I'm Ricky Bruley, and joining me, as always, is by far the coolest millennial I know. (laughs) Yeah, would. Right. <laughs> hello, hello. Thank you all for joining us today. Uh, you can also find the video version of this episode on our Vapor Trail YouTube channel, so please head on over and subscribe. Today we have a very special guest on the show. He's an award-winning film and television producer and the host of Into High Country on the Sportsman channel. He's most famous for his appearance on Vapor Trail's GI-8 Aero Rest packaging as the real American hero mountain hunter codename zinger everybody <laughs> welcome mr jason Matzinger, to the show
1: yeah thanks for having me man it's good to always good to catch up
0: for sure we appreciate you having on i know you got a busy schedule so um like you had said you were just on the you had just gotten off the phone with um some tv commercial stuff so uh, appreciate you um setting that aside so that we could have this chat man
1: Oh, of course. I'd much rather talk about this stuff than commercial minutes and things like that anyway.
2: (laughs) Yeah, thanks a lot. How have you been, Jason? How's everything going besides that?
1: It's going really good. I mean, just uh, super busy. Got a lot of really fun projects in the works that are all going to come out in the next three weeks. So we're on that home stretch of just getting all the fine details taken care of and making sure they're telling the stories we want to tell. But um, excited about all of it. It's just kept me super busy and, and, uh, coming out of spring bear and Turkey season. It's, uh, yeah, we've just been moving and shaking, but I'm really excited for this stuff that we're about to start kicking out.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. We follow along. I follow along quite a bit and you can just pay attention to a lot of the stuff that you're doing and, and dude, you've had a lot of success in the backcountry. I mean, you got a 400-inch bull elk with your prime bow outfitted with vapor trail and Stalkerize accessories. I mean, doll sheep, bighorn, you're a champion for conservation. Uh, 2021 Badlands Film Festival winner. And I think that's not the only one, right? You've got a few others that you've uh, gotten up there at yeah. the Badlands Film Fest?
1: Yeah, I've taken home several awards through the years at Badlands Film Fest. Not always first, but... Um, And sometimes I've never placed at all, but yeah, through the years, um, Mm -hmm. we've done pretty good there. And it's fun to just see that uh, bar getting raised every year, better and better filmmakers, better stories being told. And I really enjoy that event.
0: Yeah, for sure, man. I get, I I wasn't able to make it last year, but I had the, I was, I got there the year before, of course it was like right at the end. Yeah.
2: we, We walked in right at like, when they're wrapping it all up. Yeah. Cause we always have so many
0: dinner. Dinners. We always have so many dinners after the show and then, you know, BCY has a party and, you know, there's all the parties so we're trying to like poke our heads into all of them, you know? So, um, For really sure. cool to see you there. And, uh, you know, obviously those are just to name a few things, but I mean, could you ever, ever imagine that at the pinnacle of your career, you'd have the opportunity to be a guest on the range podcast with Ricky Bruley in Hollywood. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, I mean, I've, I've been waiting for that moment where I feel like I can turn around and say like I've made it mom. And I think I've finally hit that spot. So I, uh, I appreciate you guys giving me that opportunity.
2: There's a lot that has led you here. That's for sure. I mean, I mean, if you want to share that journey with us, uh, you know, what kind of led up to that glory of, like I say, uh, having your own packaging as a superhero. I mean, (laughs) uh, you know, we thank you a lot for everything you do, whether that's conservation and, you know, or, you know, just killing, you know, huge animals or, um, you know, really (laughs) pushing pushing your brands and supporting us, you know, that's been huge. But, um, yeah, I guess uh, the very start of it, if I – Rick and I were talking about it, didn't you – the whole start kind of was – you filmed, I remember you filmed a big white-tailed deer in Montana when you were guiding someone. Wasn't that the, the kind of the start of your whole kickoff to being a superhero?
1: I mean, that was around the time that I was really starting to get into filming. Um, and that was definitely one of those clips that I knew I had captured something special that I wanted to share with the world instead of just my friends. And, um, I realized what I was seeing every day out there with these hunters was, you know, as good or better than what I was seeing on hunting television at the time. So it kind of inspired me to, you know, capture it. Not, I mean, at the time it wasn't for TV. I just knew that what I was seeing was really good. So I was like, just wanted to film it so i could show my friends and my family these cool experiences that i was having out there and i wasn't just trying to tell them through a story i could actually show them the cool stuff that was happening and so that was really the start of it was every single night you'd go out and film and then that's when you we were like living with buddies and stuff you know so there would be five or six of us piled in a house at you know every night and we'd just sit back and they would tell us what they saw and we'd show them what we saw. And it was just kind of the, the culture surrounding our friendship. And, and I just got more and more passionate about wanting to capture that stuff. And, um, around that time, the, the outfitter I was working for moved away and a different outfit came in and we didn't end up getting sort of the lease on that, uh, property to, to continue to guide. And, um, So I just pushed harder on the filming side of things and, and, uh, yeah, we just, we just really enjoyed it. Whether it was my dad or my friends or whoever, I just always had a video camera along. And after, after a certain amount of time, I had this archive of like hundreds of successful hunts on camera, you know, they, they weren't well told stories, but you know they were the highlight it was kind of like all a highlight reel of these hunts and so i just started to really look at what i had as compared to what i was seeing and i'm like man i have stuff that's way better than this you know i have <laughs> clips that would like people would love to see and and at the time hunting tv didn't really speak to me on the level that i felt when i was out there it was more like how many kills can you cram into the time you have versus like telling a story that talks about conservation and what those animals in that area need to thrive and survive and how hunters, you know, what hunters place in those areas should be to maintain that health of those herds and just really build all that up. So I could go on and on, but really that's, that's where it all started was just, I loved, and it it wasn't just the hunting. You know, to this day, I get more excited about capturing an animal in its natural habitat, doing something cool than I do a kill shot. You know, that yeah. that's real. I love capturing those rare moments in nature that people just don't get to see unless you put a lot of time in out there. And then when the, the camera settings are right and the lighting's right and the animal just almost reads the script, it's just that is so much harder to get than another kill shot, you know? And so that's really um, what's always driven me is just the wildlife and being around them and learning from them when I'm not hunting them and all of that kind of stuff. So,
0: right. Yeah. um,
1: Right. Yeah.
0: Yeah. No, that's, uh, that's great. You, I feel like you're definitely a pioneer of like changing the narrative as to how like a hunting film should be or or just even calling it a film in general because just like you said all the old hunting stuff or you know from back in the early 2000s and gosh even when you know teenagers and all that kind of stuff you go way back then and it was again like you said it was just kill shots there wasn't a lot of discussion about this is the gear we're using or this is what we do or this is how we do it or you know that kind of stuff um which those are good things too, but I just love the aesthetic of the films that you make and the story you tell and the way that you tell it. You're so articulate in all of that. And so I think that really kind of paved the way to a lot of what we see now. And uh, I just think it's fantastic. And, and then throwing in the cons- conservation piece too was really important. And that's when uh, you know when I had approached you, because um, you, you, know, you had been using our products for quite some time up, up to that point. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, you're good buddies with our previous general manager, uh, ears, and, um, you were supporting us in that way. And it's like, well, I want to take this further because I like the message that you're putting out there and conservation is really important to all of us. And so that, that was, uh, a, a face that we wanted to have, um, uh, with our company. So, or I should say
1: with vapor trail and stokerized. Well, I appreciate you saying that.
2: Hearing you talk about that just gave me, you know, like goosebumps. It's just like, you know, even when I was like, you know, kid growing up, look, watching those hunting shows, it was a lot of the, you know, I just remember stacking up arrows. Like that was the whole thing, just how many shots. And um, yeah, your, your film, like calling it a film, that's the way I see like, it almost makes me think of like Sitka gear. Like that's, yeah, it's a plug for a company right there. But, you know, they call it gear, not just hunting clothes. You know, like they changed the way we look at how we're going out into the field. Where like Jason's saying, it's not a hunting show. I wouldn't call it a show. It's a hunting film or even an outdoor film. And you don't, at least I haven't seen that so much on other people where they're telling the story of the animal and making it a way bigger connection with what is happening it's not just running out there and you see this you know at least for the midwest a doe and you just shoot it you're talking about you know such great species like uh my wife and i have watched most of your uh into high country stuff but you know like the one that really that. sticks out to me is no problem uh it's awesome watching like the the uh goat like there's a hunt that i remember specifically where you're chasing after goats and just Seeing the cinematic you know shots of it is just so awesome it's just captivating it's just this is no longer just a hunting show it's just a film you know <laughs> there's a lot more meaning to
0: it it seems it's it's a much more immersive experience right yeah like i don't get excited about just strictly watching a guy sitting in a tree stand and shooting a deer i mean it's cool to see that kind of stuff but just the way that the episodes open up with all the amazing shots and you've got mm-hmm. sunsets and you've got, you know, walking through the tall grass and the sage brush and, you know, just images of, of the wildlife that you're seeing along the way. It's just, it's super cool. I love it. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah.
1: <clears throat> My focus with the show is, um, you know, i'm never a how-to guy i'm never a what's in my pack i'm never a tell you where to go what to apply for break down any of that kind of stuff my goal is to get people to fall in love with the wildlife and the habitat enough you know that they care enough to protect it and that's my goal is to just um when people watch the show i want them to walk away with a greater understanding of you know, how amazing those animals are and in ways they can maybe help or maybe not, you know, some animals are just fine, but, um, Mm -hmm. you know, and when I, when I started doing that, it's because I didn't want to just, I never did this to just see myself on TV. I wanted to do it to change the narrative, to make, to be a better representation to people that don't hunt. So maybe they would have be willing to kind of meet us in the middle a little more. And, um, so, you know, at that time that I came out with that mountain goat piece, that was the very first like high end film I had ever done. I had two camera guys on that hunt. We had crazy, you know, big cameras with us. And, um, at the time we were, we were trying to do something different. And, um, you know, at that time, there hadn't even been one like, uh, slow motion shot captured of a kill shot in the hunting industry, not one. So it was at that time where camera equipment was really advancing and things like a simple drone shot or a slow-mo shot, like separated you from the pack. And it was right at that, that moment in time. And, um, So I did that film for three reasons. One, I wanted to like test the waters of the industry to see if there was that level of interest there through partners who would get behind supporting that level or that look and feel of hunting production. I did it for that. I did it to tell my story. So when I met potential, you know, people that were interested in partnering with me or something, and they would say, I'd love to see an example of your work. I didn't want to just send them a 22 minute episode with commercial breaks and bars and tone (laughs) and all the stuff in the middle. You know, I wanted to send them a tight little package that told my roots, you know, my beliefs, where I came from, my family and what I believe in. And I just wanted to kind of put it in a hunt and show what we could capture. And, um, so I did it for that, uh, as well. And so it was really like testing the waters for me at that time is can I continue to go down this path or will this just kind of tank? And, uh, and, you know, and at the at the time, had that not taken hold like it did, I probably wouldn't have been as interested in continuing with this because I, you know, I just wanted to create something that, that like met planet Earth to the hunting industry, you know, bridge that gap and yeah, captivate yeah. people and so that was always the that's goal. Exactly
2: what I was just about to call it. <laughs> <Awesome>.
1: <laughs> yeah,
0: no, that's great. Uh well said and you're doing a good job of it too, no without a doubt. I mean, again, just changing that narrative. It's it, it's done nothing but good things in my in my mind for for the industry as a whole, not just, you know, specifically archery, but just in the outdoors in general, and conservation as well. You know, again, trying to change that narrative. Um, so, so far, oh, thank you. Uh, so far this year, you've had a pretty solid season, touchdowns and turkeys with your boys, and Alberta Black there <laughs> with your bow. Uh, you just returned from uh, what looks like an amazing access deer hunting uh, deer hunting trip in Texas. We talked briefly about yep. that hunt yesterday on the phone, and I'm curious, like, how does a how does a hunt like that go down? Like what's the day-to-day process? Cause I, you know, there's not a lot of content out there about that stuff. So I'm, I'm just curious to hear about how that all goes down.
1: It was awesome. So this is actually the second time I've been after Axis. I hunted the same piece of property down there last year, but it was really, really dry and hot. And there just okay. wasn't a lot of feed. Yeah. I mean, it's always hot <laughs> down in Texas. Right? <laughs> um, it was It was exceptionally dry. And so just for whatever reason, the place we were hunting didn't have a lot of feed and so we saw a few access but i never even saw a buck i would have shot at um on that trip last year so returned again this year and um basically they have about three different water sources on we were hunting about a thousand acres you know surrounded by these bigger ranches and it's all free range where we were hunting there's no high fence stuff there so these these axis are They'll make big loops, can come and go, but basically you're, you're focusing your hunting around water, whether that's spot and stock game kind of around the area where there's water or just sitting in, in a blind. And for me, knowing how flighty access were and knowing the level that I like to film stuff on the spot and stock game was going to be tough. So I committed to sitting in water on this, on this hunt so we'd go in and we'd get set up axis will stage in different areas kind of like elk um so we were getting in the blind incredibly early i mean i think we were leaving camp about four forty-five, getting in there about five fifteen, and then sitting there for an hour just waiting for the light to come up and they're kind of gray light animals i mean from the 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 experience I ha- I've had with them, I've seen very few kind of <clears throat> hitting water in the middle of the day. Um, now, that's not to say that I'm no access <laughs> expert by any means. This was just <clears throat> my experience. We didn't have any midday action on the water. Um, so it was like first thing in the morning, last thing at night. But you can't just get lazy with it and go, oh, well, it's it's going to be right at daylight and you know, and then it's over because you just don't know because we're hunting the roar. So, you know, bucks are on their feet a little more than normal. And chances are, if a buck is going to show up in those later morning hours, he's probably a big mature buck that's leaving his, his does for just that amount of time to go get some water when all the other bucks are bedded down, not putting pressure on him. And he's got that opportunity to like slip in, get water and get back to his does. And so your odds go way down as far as, you know, the later in the day it goes. But based on what I know from elk and deer hunting, you know, those encounters during the rut are usually pretty good bulls um, or bucks. And so, uh, yeah, basically uh, we're and we'd get in the blind then at about three o'clock. And you know, action wasn't till eight. But once again, you can't get lazy with it because if you try to just slide in at seven thirty, they're already staged hundred yards out, and you've just blown it for the whole night. You know, so oh, okay. Um, so you, just a lot of hours sitting, water, and being patient. And so, over four days, uh, I saw four axis bucks that I would have shot like within range. The first one uh, just kind of came in head on, walked through the trees, walked right past me, never even stopped. And it, it was like, you know, forty-five yards out there, and he was head high, like moving, just not a not an opportunity, but a great encounter. Really cool footage. Um, then the next night I had one come in and I came to full draw on him. He he was drinking at twenty-eight yards, and I let him continue you like finished drinking and he came up out and stood there quartered away and it was just like too dark. I could not differentiate exactly where I was aiming on him. So I was trying to like pull my head out, put it in, pull my head out and like narrow it in. And I'm like, I can't, I don't feel good about this. So I just let, I just let down and he just walked away. Um, then the next night, uh i had a really good buck come in came dead in on me straight in and started drinking and i pulled back when he came in and just was holding my pins on him and two white tails came out of the brush to the right and spooked him so he just came out of the water hole like unglued and took off going dead away from me (laughs) so I mean, they're flightier. They're like 10 times flightier than a white tail. flightier than an antelope. Oh, yeah. wow. they, they are so finicky. And so I started to realize you're not going to get these perfect shots with these animals. Like you're, you have to be on your game. And that's not to say it can't happen, but you just got to be a lot more ready all the time with these animals. Um, mm-hmm. They don't give you a lot of foreshadowing to their actions like a, a deer or an elk will. Um, so uh, when my buck ended up coming in, um, he came in, was drinking kind of quartered two, but his his legs were kind of spread out and he had his head down. And I, was, I had my 30 right on the bottom of his chest and my 20 like halfway up through his lungs. And I was just rock solid on him. And I've killed quite a few uh, antelope pronghorn, you know, with that shot and I was locked on him. So I sent it and put it right here and it came out right here and he was dead. I mean, he freight trained out of there and was down in like five seconds. He made it 65 yards and just piled up right there, big old dust cloud. Um, <laughs> it, but it, it, it I, <laughs> for my buddy down there, Jeff Helm has tried to get me down there for years. And I'll be honest, I kind of like poo-hooed Texas a little bit, like, eh, it's not really, (laughs) Really? not really my thing. I'm kind of a mountain guy, not really into the, you know, canned hunting. Like I I thought all of Texas, I just stereotyped as like this, just easier level of hunting for some reason. And I don't know why I did that. And Mm -hmm. so, I've thoroughly enjoyed hunting those things. The first time you see them on the hoof, like a big Axis buck, it is like a mythical creature. I mean, they, they're so beautiful and they, they're just elegant animal. And so I am just hooked now. Now I learned so much spending that much time um, around them that now I just want to apply it. I went from like just straight up rookie knowing nothing about Axis to now like I've learned enough about them to where now I want to apply it, you know?
0: Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty cool.
2: Yeah. That's, I was thinking right when you were saying the water deal, I'm like, this has got to be close to like pronghorn hunting almost where, you know, you, you almost have to sit. I mean, and I've heard that they're very skittish. I've seen other people hunt them and, uh, it sounds like they're just, you know, the ultimate deer to try and uh, essentially catch and, you know, see them slip up. And I'm like, this has to be like the hardest pronghorn hunt ever <laughs> is what I could uh, imagine yeah. it being, mm-hmm. you know,
0: <laughs> you couldn't have said it better as far as, you know, calling them a mythical creature. Cause I never really thought about it that way until you had mentioned it. And I thought, gosh, yeah, they they really kind of are, you know, just even everything about them, the spots and the, um, you know, the, the configuration of their antlers and, and all of that right down to it. And I was super excited to see that you did it with a bow. I might be just a little bit biased, but every time I see you do something (laughs) with a bow, I'm like, yes, Um, (laughs) you know, the best method for probably making that happen is, is to do it the way you did it. So, but it's really cool. And, and, uh, congratulations on that. I think it's awesome that you found another new passion.
1: (laughs) Yeah yeah I needed that like I needed a hole in the head, but um <laughs> yeah, <right>. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah it uh it it it's an incredible experience, and the part that I didn't mention is we timed the roar just perfect, and so hearing them calling and trying to figure out what certain calls meant and how other ones r- responded to them was just really interesting and so that that was a super fun part of the hunt too, just hearing them out there doing their thing. They call it the roar, but it's more like a whistle.
0: <laughs> oh, is it really? <laughs> That's funny.
1: Yeah. It's, it's a weird sound. So I've never hunted with
0: Jeff, I, but you know, I've met him several times and you know, at the TACs and stuff like that. So I can only imagine what it's like in hunting camp. That's gotta be just a blast hanging out with him.
1: Yep. There's never a dull moment for sure. <laughs> we, we were, we had a lot of laughs. I uh, I'm, I'm stoked to put all this together and you know they do uh, a fair amount of spot and stock down there the country is pretty conducive to that just cuz you have a lot of like intermittent brush that's open so you can make quick moves without snapping through timber but you have these kind of pockets of brush to use between you so they do pretty decent at spot and stock in those but um but like i said trying to film and and do that with it just put it to a whole other level. So maybe now that I got one under my belt, um, I'll go to try to do that next time or be more apt to hop out of the blind. But, um, yeah, just a great hunt. Since father day is coming up here.
0: Sorry, Wood. Um, he doesn't have any kids, but yeah, uh, I just wanted to talk a little bit about being a dad, that, that post you put up about, touchdowns and turkeys you know I love seeing the photos that you post with you and your boys and this spring you guys had a pretty special day
1: yeah that was uh they just don't get much better Um, my boy was in he had his first flag football game he's nine years old Asher is his name and so he was super excited about playing football because I take him to a lot of Montana State football games here and of course his older brother plays football and so He's around a lot of football, so it's finally his chance. And he, uh, right out of the gate, the first game scored three touchdowns. So oh, he geez. was super excited That's about wild. that. Yeah, so we went right from the football game. Um, we went through the Wendy's drive-thru, picked up some, <laughs> some food, and uh, headed out to this piece of property that I actually worked on when I was in high school. I lived out there, my junior... Uh, I can't remember what years, sophomore and junior year or something. I would live out there in the summer and I would do the irrigation so I could hunt there in the fall because there's whitetails out there as well. And so I got paid minimum wage and I got to shoot a whitetail there in the fall. So I worked on this place not too far from Bozeman. And um I, I just reached out and asked him if I could take my boy out there to maybe get a crack at his first turkey. And they didn't even hesitate. They were like, absolutely. Mm. Uh, That's cool. You know, and they kind of told me when it would work for when they were going to be at the ranch and all that kind of stuff. So um, we ended up going out there and meeting up and he kind of told me where he'd seen some and all that kind of stuff. And so we just went to walking around. We got all our camo on, dressed right there on the side of the truck. And Mm -hmm. and started going down through the woods. And I mean, we put on a couple miles had covered a bunch of different spots calling and just hadn't had any reaction. We had found a few Turkey tracks in the dirt and, um, you know, just having fun. And it got to be prime time and we ended up in this spot where it was kind of the end of our loop. And then I was going to swing back to the truck. And so we're just sitting on these logs and I gave my one boy the box call Asher and I gave Dawson the slate call. And so I'm fi- I'm filming Dawson, trying to learn how to work the slate and I'm telling Asher how to you know use the box call. And so we're just having fun, beautiful evening. And uh, I go, have you guys ever seen uh, how you make a gobble with a box call? And they're like, no. And so I get the box call from Asher and I go, like that with it. And a, and a turkey hammers back to us and and our, our eyes just lit up like, Holy cow. And so, and once he went off, he, he did not stop like that. Tom responded. He wouldn't respond to any of those hen calls, but the second we did that gobble, he just hammered. And then he was just coming and, uh, he came right in. My boy got him and my, my younger son was right back here, watched him come in and, uh, That was the first animal that my boys have ever experienced communicating with and then watching it come in and just come right into our face. And so they were both, like, really fired up. I mean, Dawson, he's shot a couple nice mule deer and a whitetail now and an antelope, and I have never seen him get the fever like he did with that turkey. I mean, he was, like, vibrating after that hunt was over. (laughs) And uh, so... You know, as a father to, to go through a day like that, like the big day of your younger boys, first football game and him having a great day and just so happy. And then going out and having this just incredible Turkey hunt, couldn't have went any better. It was like, my heart was so full walking back to the truck in the sunset and watching the two boys, just like, (laughs) like little teammates, you know, and. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it was like it, it was just one of those moments where you you really have to just like stop and take it in because you know that that's just so special and uh, yeah um, it it was an incredible day start to finish and uh, yeah as a father who loves football and hunting just. <laughs> Doesn't get much better than
2: that. <laughs> yeah, no. I'd have to imagine you were on top of the world. I mean, that day uh, sounds like I mean, nothing could have went wrong. It all yeah. came together by the sounds of it.
1: Yeah, and you know, got home to both of them asleep in the backseat, and I'm like, man, that, that is just a satisfying day right there. Warm out and couldn't have went better.
0: Perfect. Yeah. So continuing the Father's Day theme, so the quote that you have uh, on your post with the Alberta black bear. Um, I want, I was going to read, I wanted to read that just for the listeners, um, because it's such a profound statement, but I'm going to kind of put you on the spot here. I thought it would make more sense for you to read it. I wonder if you would mind reading that quote that you put up from your Alberta black bear hunt.
2: Hollywood here. The Vapor Trail Pro Shop is a one-stop shop for all of your archery needs. Coming this Friday, June 30th, is our brand new online arrow customizer. Build your victory or Easton arrows with multiple vein options, configurations, and custom arrow wraps in a large array of designs and colors. Spine indexing and expedited build options are also available so you can get back out in the field and flinging in style. Check out the Vapor Trail Aero Customizer at www.vaportrailarchery.com forward slash Aero Customizer.
0: I'm going to kind of put you on the spot here. I thought it would make more sense for you to read it. I wonder if you would mind reading that quote that you put up from your Alberta black bear hunt.
1: Sure. I just got to pull up my pull it up on my phone here yeah i shut it off so it wasn't dinging so it'll take just a second
0: (laughs) (laughs) another moment where i was like yes he did it with a bow you know and uh and, and and i'm doesn't mean that i don't you know i i get there's there's hunts where you know i i use a gun from time to time that kind of thing too so and especially when it comes to some of those you know i know you had your bow on that sheep hunt up in the northwest territories and Uh, but I know that's not one of those hunts where you can run the risk of, uh, not being able to harvest an animal simply because you don't have the right equipment. Right. So totally understand that aspect of everything. So,
1: yeah, a lot of those emotions are going to come out. I'm actually doing a three part series on that sheep hunt that kicks off into high country this year. Um, and that I'm really, really excited about. And, uh, the, A lot of those emotions of you know showing up with a bow and whether to take the rifle and where you're at in life and realistically what it takes to get back there and all that stuff becomes much more clear when you're up there but i'm excited to kick it out okay so i found it okay so here's the quote i said uh I'm not sure I'll ever get tired of chasing and hunting black bears. Although I'll admit, after taking so many, it gets harder and harder for me to find one that gets me excited enough to want to take its life. I watched it happen with my father, and now it's starting, started happening with me. It's just the natural evolution of a hunter, I suppose. He always says, I'm just not that mad at him as I used to be. And now more than ever, I've come to understand what he meant by that. And being mad at them never had anything to do with it. Alberta <laughs> black bear, 2023, what a hunt. Yes.
0: So, dude, that is such a profound thought. I mean, honestly, and, and it it kind of scares me a little bit because I've discovered that, you know, I guess, you know, after having kids and, you know, it's like, man, I, I feel like there was a point in time I was like, my purpose in life is to hunt, you know? And now I'm like, my purpose in life is to be, the greatest dad and husband that I possibly can be so naturally time spent in the wilderness is sort of taking a back seat a little so it's a little scary but I I I am excited about my daughter getting old enough to start taking her out and and uh and my stepson he's 10 now and so he's getting in we're doing grouse hunting that's his favorite thing to do so it's just it's just a blast but I don't know I I guess I don't really know what else to say about that I mean I think it speaks for itself right and I think we all kind of as we, as we progress in our, uh, abilities to hunt, you start to, uh, just see the reverence in it more than, than it's about actually killing an animal. And I just love that. I love that quote. That was amazing.
1: Well, I appreciate that. I mean, I, I find that with bears more than anything, I'm starting to get that way with, um, a few other animal species as well, but, um, you know, and I've kind of struggled. I shouldn't say struggled with it. But, you know, I I told myself from the very beginning of this, before I ever had a show that I was never gonna kill an animal to make a TV show. That was one of my number one rules is if I'm not thoroughly into it, and 100% jacked up, I'm not gonna do it. You know, it's not worth it to me one episode is is not worth it to me and so as I've been doing this 14 years now kicking out average of 10 episodes a year and as you get older you evolve as a hunter and you want to do better than you did the year before or you want to do it by a different method than you did before you want to you always want to keep that level playing field. As soon as you feel like you're gaining ground or it's it's become this thing that's almost automatic. As a hunter, you want to get back to where it's harder, you know. At least I do. I I'm, if I ever feel like the animal has less of a chance than I do, it's just not appealing to me. And so I think that comes from reverence of the animal. That comes from learning what they go through on a day-to-day basis to survive out there and what it all takes when it comes to that moment to take its life. And and you think about it more and more. And so through 14 years of just doing the show, I mean, I've hunted my whole life. I'm just talking since the show. It, it gets harder and harder for me to find animals that I want to take. And so, um, but I've got this show and so i'm to the point now where i'm like you know turning the page of the show of not feeling like i have to get those kills but explain to the listeners the evolution of the hunter you know so i would rather hunt the entire season and go home without one and explain to people why i didn't want to take one that year and um then take one that I'm not totally jacked about just to satisfy a guy that wants to see a kill shot at the end of the show. And so, you know, it's, uh, but it's this fine line, cause like my partners like to see success. And and at the end of the day, I like to see success too, but I'm having to dig deeper and go harder all the time to find these animals that, that give me that drive you know, to hunt them as hard as, as I did when I was 21 years old, you know, and I think that it's this beauty, I think part of this beautiful cycle that we go through is about the time you start feeling this as a hunter is about the time you want it all for your kids. And so then the light bulb goes off to me of like, now I understand why dad was like, happy letting us go and just hanging at the truck and now i understand why dad was could take midday naps that would drive me nuts that we weren't out there you know now now i understand all this stuff and it's Mm -hmm. it's uh so as into high country evolves you know those that's more of the the lens that you'll start to see it through is Rather than feeling the pressure of these animals, you know, taking these animals, I'd rather just tell that evolution of a hunter that, as far as I can tell, every one of us goes through eventually. And there's no actual show that kind of talks about it and accepts it and lets you know that that's okay. And as there's more hunters on the landscape in smaller areas and fewer animals, like, it's okay to not notch tags and it doesn't make you unsuccessful. It just, you know, and this, this kind of comes all back to this selective film, but um, yeah, that's, I kind of went down a rabbit hole there and I don't really know how, but uh, <laughs> no, but that was, that was perfect
0: yeah. because that's we're, we're, we're about to segue into that. Um, what you just talked about the the new film that you have coming out with the wild sheep foundation selective uh, it uh, premieres
1: July 6th July 6th here in Bozeman at the Emerson Theater Emerson Theater
0: okay cool um, yeah so for all you folks out there looks like uh, tickets 20 bucks in advance or 25 at the door There's gonna be a bunch of door prizes that you can give away at the premiere you got uh, uh, Randy Newberg as your evening MC that's pretty cool uh, Vapor Trail and Stoke Rise is going to be giving away a package there, uh, arrow rest, stabilizer, and uh, custom bowstrings of their choice. Um, so we're happy to participate in that with you.
1: Absolutely.
0: Going back to, you know, I, I mean, as the title states, you know, the film is about selective harvest and reclaiming the narrative of what the word trophy really means. And I love this idea of flipping what the script has become. Can you speak a little bit more about that?
1: Yeah. Um, so I grew up really familiar with the records keeping system. Uh, you know, the Boone and Crockett headquarters is right in Missoula. And at the time my dad was friends with some of the people that were very involved in Boone and Crockett. And so, you know, growing up, I, I was aware of what this records keeping system was and, um, you know, fast forward to today and you have, you can have a lot of conversations with hunters and, and non hunters who don't truly understand what that records keeping system is for. Uh, a lot of people think it's, it's just like a, a bragging book for who's the best, you know, best hunter out there. Who's killed the biggest animals, who's killed the most big animals. Um, but In reality, it's just the most uh, best kept data, uh, most, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Intricate collection of data ever recorded that proves that the North American model of wildlife conservation is working. It proves that hunting is conservation. And without that, you know, if those records were to go away, we wouldn't have this this document that anytime somebody puts us up against a fence about the benefits that come, come, like the conservation benefits that come along with selective harvest, we've got, you know, hundreds of years of data that we can show them and say, well, actually, you're wrong. Um, you know, look at the number of record book animals, then look at the look at now, look at all these different counties around the United States who are now producing quality animals that if you were to go back 50 years, there's not one entry, you know? So it, it allows biologists and research and, and all of those people to look back and see where areas are healthy, where they're not healthy, where they need work, where they don't. And, uh, What I find fascinating that's a big part of the film actually is conservation in America was actually started the first time that the general public ever became involved with matters that involve wildlife and wild places was because of a taxidermy collection that Theodore Roosevelt strategically put together that's called the North, uh, oh geez the uh, north american uh gosh national collection of heads and horns and uh it's it, it's now housed in springfield missouri at the wonders wildlife museum but originally he made this room outside the bronx zoo because at the time if you wanted to see these animals you either had to go where they lived or you had to go to a zoo And so zoos were uh, worldly attractions. You know, people were traveling from all over to come see these animals. And so Theodore Roosevelt had this idea that he and his buddies were going to go out and collect as many animals around the world as they could and mount every single one of them. And they did that and they made this national collection of heads and horns, which was basically a room you had to walk through to get to the zoo and above the when you would go in the door it said in memory of the vanishing big game of the world and so people show up to a zoo to enjoy wildlife and the first thing they see is in memory of vanishing big game of the world and it sparked it scared them it was a scare tactic and it worked because people would show up and they'd be like wait a minute what's happening to all these animals and why what can we do to help and so it lit a fire in the general public to want to help wildlife and look after them and so that national collection um, i've seen it referred to as the memorial that was never needed because we we not one of those animals went extinct um so you know i find it fascinating that taxidermy started wildlife conservation in the general public. Um, and and taxidermy in, preserves history. And there's there's a lot of things that come through taxidermy. And so that's a whole you know chapter of the film. But but really, you know, the the, the idea is trophy hunting is selective hunting. You know the word itself is is what's been demonized and taken and twisted, and but the act of trophy hunting is an absolutely beautiful thing, and there's major benefits that come from trophy hunting. We, you know, we're trying to shift it to selective hunting to try to get away from that word because I believe selective is a much more descriptive word for what we're doing. Because to me, trophy hunting is killing that dry doe that's beyond our prime that is benefiting the herd as much as an old buck that's no longer breeding. You know, trophy hunting is killing 300 cow elk out of some areas because there's only 30 bulls and they're all little spuds, you know. The trophy hunting is all hunting together as long as it's done for the benefit of the wildlife in that area and that's what I love about this is The aha moment for me is selective hunting is meat hunting, and it is the guy that wants to go out and kill the biggest animal. As long as you're doing it for reasons that benefit the wildlife, it all goes together and it puts us together. It's no longer I'm a trophy hunter and you're a meat hunter. It brings us back together as we're just hunters, you know, and we're working together for the wildlife, not individual goals short sighted goals, you know, um that's been the big light bulb moment for me as like, oh my gosh, this is awesome, you know this brings us together because if we're if we're taking the right does out of the herd and we're we're hunting the areas that need to be thinned and we're leaving areas alone that that don't and only just picking those few off, you know approaching it with that kind of outlook, it's gonna be beneficial for everybody, you know. Um, and, and all the wildlife around it as well. So we just want to take back the narrative because I know and all my friends know and anybody who understands how wildlife management uh, works knows that taking those older matriarchs out of, out of the forests and the mountains is an absolutely beautiful thing for wildlife. And as long as we continue to do that, those wildlife herds will continue to flourish. You know, it's yeah. the the old, yeah, that, the old hashtag age matters. It's a hundred percent. true.
0: <laughs> yeah, it really does. That's, that's some really cool info there. A lot of that, I, you know, I didn't, I didn't know about the Theodore Roosevelt Museum and, and how they kind of use that as a tactic. And um, yeah, that's, that's some cool stuff. I'm, I really look forward to seeing that in the film.
1: Yeah. <clears throat> uh, it's funny when I do these documentary films I get more excited about those little chapters of them than I do the actual hunting portions of them because they're just so juicy with information and the hunting is like you can see hunting elsewhere you know you can't see this elsewhere this is special so I love those those informational pieces in there
2: Hmm. yeah that's that's why I think like when I think into high country is more you know touching on uh why conservation is important and so this is just another add-on to it i mean and i'm stepping back kind of to that quote as well where you know that when you were describing what into high country is that goes right along with that quote where it's just like you know you're not out there just to you know kill to kill you know it's just like there's a point point in i think all of our hunting careers and like Rick was thinking maybe I wouldn't feel it yet just because I am a little bit younger and still full of some vinegar, but uh, (laughs) even myself, I feel that way. It's just like, you know, I'm not here to just take every single thing because, you know, hunting is getting a little bit bigger, but, you know, maybe there will be some retraction, but what about the next generation behind us? You know, it's not fair to that next person, Um, and that might be Rick's daughter or your two sons. You know, it's like I want their – them to be able to experience that too so it's just it's so cool seeing that you know you've got this platform to be able to share that more than just watching the bullet fly or the arrow fly you know um, pushing the fact of you know this is where it started and this is where we need to keep going just to you know bring this whole thing together where, yeah. And we're not just, you know, you're a trophy hunter, uh, and I'm a meat hunter sort of thing. It's just, we're all hunters. We're all here to conserve, you know, for the next generation. So it's really cool. Exactly. Able to see that. Um, and in such high def definition too. you know, having that story is just amazing. It's awesome.
1: <laughs> Heck yeah. I appreciate that. I want to read, I want to read one quote that I used, um, that I, I am going to use in the film too. Um, from Jack O'Connor. I don't know if you guys are familiar with who Jack O'Connor is, but he's a legend uh, in my world, sheep world. He wrote this quote in September of 1954. And it says, trophy hunting never hurt sheep herds because the rams with big heads are all the old ones within a year or two of death. Hunters could take every ram over nine on every sheep mountain in North America without jeopardizing the herds at all. And that is still true today. Yeah,
2: that's so insane. Like when I was watching your selective uh, trailer, said like rams over seven years or seven years is about when they start, you know, really start to breed and mate. And I'm like, oh my goodness, like that really, you know, to your point, you know, selective that that's the importance of going for the bigger one instead of just killing to kill, you know, because eventually one day I want to be up there but I have to wait 30 years, but I I mean, I'll be happy to if they're still going to be sitting there,
1: you know? (laughs) For sure. And, and, you know, those outfitters up there, they're self-regulating like they're not, their tag numbers in the Northwest territories are not determined by the, the Providence itself or anyone. It's up to them to determine the take out of their area to keep it healthy. And, you know, if they want longevity or they just want to, pillage the land, you know, and none of those outfitters pillage the land, not a single one. And so, you know, Glenda Grote is the outfitter I went with, Canall Outfitters, and, and uh, we did an interview with her for Selective and, and she summed it up very good in the fact of, if you have a bigger, beautiful eight-year-old ram standing next to a 12-year-old that's not quite as impressive on the mountain, and you kill that seven or eight year old ram, you essentially just took two sheep off the mountain because that old ram isn't gonna breed anymore and he's likely gonna die that winter. So when we were hunting up there and that's the reason I wanted to use sheep, they have their age on the side of their head, there's no question how old they are, you can see it right there. Um, So age, you're positive of age, But also like sheep is a perfect example because, you know, it's not practical to get there. In most instances it costs quite a bit of money. And still, when you're there hunting and you want to get one so bad, and you're sitting there on deciding which one to take, every hunter I was up there with would have never killed that younger ram, even though he's way bigger, would score way better. You know, they're not doing that. Yeah, you get the odd guy that's self-serving or whatever fair enough but generally speaking um everybody i know is going to kill that older ram and leave that seven or eight year old there um and and i just thought that was a great way to put it you know if you kill that younger one you're essentially taking two so in cheaper very sensitive um they're a finicky animal that takes a lot of precision um, when it comes to looking at them and how to how to take care of them yeah
2: one day one day i sure hope
1: (laughs) i'll get there well if if you make it a priority i promise you will
2: oh yeah i already put in my points this year for at least colorado uh, for sheep um and then hopefully uh montana and wyoming but we'll see just gotta start the points creep anyway yeah (laughs) just keep waiting exactly
1: (laughs) got to start somewhere put in for all those raffles there's you know cool opportunities at local banquets wild sheep foundation all that kind of stuff I I put in for all of that stuff like you just never know to go
0: back to the uh uh selective uh hunting like we were kind of talking about earlier so I don't know if you can see this I brought uh this is the first mule deer that I ever (laughs) shot with a bow And Uh so my philosophy, well, I figured I'd bring it to the table because I wanted to, you know, I wanted to kind of match, uh, match up wits with your abilities, you know, and just kind of try to one up. you. So I figured this would be the best one for me to bring to the table. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But uh, all jokes aside, my philosophy, I guess, is kind of always been to match wits with your quarry. Right. So. I I start small and then every year I kind of try to work my way up, work my way up, work my way up. And then eventually you get to a point where you know you, you can no longer be too picky, right? Or you're just or you or you'll never um I guess have any success in the in, uh in the way of uh killing an animal, I guess. But I want to allude to what you had said about how in some cases that selective uh hunting is taking out, you know, 30 uh, cow elk in order to advance the herd mm-hmm. or, you know, so like with this type of philosophy, uh, you know, I've kind of changed that a little bit. You know, you talked about your boys and how you want to instill that with them to at a young age where you don't always necessarily have to go after the smallest one. And maybe you, maybe you should educate yourself on what the populations are like in that area. And if they're suffering or if they're not, and make sure that you're making a, a, a better, uh, a better decision based on the future of the herd as opposed to taking that approach where it's like, I want to match wits with my quarry. So, um, you know, anyway, I just, I, I just want to point that out that I, that's something that I learned too, you know, cause I always felt like, yeah, I think that's a great philosophy to have. You know, I've told so many people like if you're bow hunting and you've never shot anything, um, don't hesitate to shoot that spike or that, you know, that kind of thing. And, um, you know, now maybe not, maybe I wouldn't say it, Quite that way, you know. Just make sure that you're educated on the area and, and make a decision based on the future of the herd.
1: Exactly. Just understand the ramifications of that action and know that, yeah, maybe if if it's your first one, yeah, not a not a big deal. But if you continued to do that every year, there would be effects. Um, so I think that's why it's important that we evolve. And I think that this has been happening for generations this evolution of a hunter you know and it's uh and i think i'm just getting to that point where i understand it a little bit better um than i did when i was 25 and just couldn't imagine how i wasn't going to be just this maniac until the day i fell over you know (laughs) but now i uh start to get it more so yeah and i i'm certainly not judgmental i mean i still believe that if you're out there having fun and playing by the rules and and are like vibrating out of your skin when that experience happens, then absolutely. Like, um, but, but just, yeah, you got to just understand that those animals are pretty delicate, all of them, like those herds and and that there are effects. And the more of us that are out there, the more effect it's going to have for the positive or the negative. And just, just think about it. You know, um, I just want people to understand that if you're, if you're a, person that's labeled a trophy hunter or a selective hunter, or only wants to kill the biggest, baddest one or nothing. That is a beautiful thing. And for too long, we've let people outside of hunting tell us that that's not a beautiful thing because they twisted one word. And I've just, we have never as a hunting culture put together a piece that we can all, I'm hoping, stand behind and say, okay, this is no longer just us forming a a quick response to an attack that we're under currently this is us saying all right time out let's back up a minute and i'm going to tell you what trophy hunting is and how beautiful it is and why it was beautiful then and why it's beautiful today and it's done amazing things in the way of wildlife conservation and so don't be afraid to be that guy and it's
2: right right
1: you know that's the that's the main thing but at the same time yeah, I mean, I'll never judge anybody for the way that they want to hunt. I just want people to, to think about it, that's all, and understand there is this whole other side, and that filling the tag necessarily isn't always the best thing. Um, it's like a hey, perfect example. I put in for Wyoming antelope only because I had points there and I didn't want to lose them. And I'm sitting there going, please don't let me draw because they just had major die-offs. In that in the area that that I'm hunting, so I get the web the the link today that said Wyoming results are out, and I get on there going, please don't draw, please don't draw. I drew, (laughs) and and so now now I've got this Wyoming antelope tag, and I'm like, I probably won't even go down there. I I, yeah, I've got a tag, and I burned like quite a few points to get it this year, but that doesn't outweigh that I don't. you know, those animals don't need hunting pressure right now. I mean, I've heard upwards to like 90, a hundred percent die off in areas. I've seen videos where there's just antelope laying out through the sage, just bodies just stacked. And it's, you know, so that's, I think that's a good example of just, you know, you don't have to fill a tag. Think about what's going on in the area.
0: Right, right. Yeah. And for our listeners, can you elaborate on what's going on out there? Or is there any speculation as to what's going on with it? Was it just a bad winter kill or? Yeah,
1: just really bad winter kills in lots of Wyoming. On the mule deer and the antelope specifically, they just took, took a hit. Like I said, I, I'm still seeing stuff roll in where you know, at first it was 80% die off. And now I'm seeing some places where they're like, you know, nearly a hundred percent die off in these hunting That's districts. Crazy. So it's wild, you know, That's the wild. habitat's great. Uh, and the, you know, the kind of the foundation for rebuilding is really good there. It's not like it was a catastrophe or, uh, like a wildfire or, uh, You know, something that just dramatically just changed the landscape to where they won't be able to make it back like or a disease that just continues to infiltrate or something like the fact that it was just kind of a hard die off. I do think they'll bounce back pretty quick, but, Mm -hmm. um, you know, I guess time will tell what next winter will bring. So yeah, my my fear with this whole thing and the thing that I've been trying to just dance around is I never want anybody to feel like I'm sitting up on some high horse telling you how you should hunt because that's how I feel. I don't like people yeah. like that. I really don't. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, it, no. it bugs me when people try to like control your actions because they don't believe in the way you do it. That's not what I'm trying to do here and say that, oh, I'm holier than thou because I believe in this and everybody else should. That's not it at all. It's just I just want to put out the message that trophy hunting is awesome and it's beautiful and it does great things for wildlife. So the more we think about it and embrace it, I think the wildlife will benefit. That's really, that's really the messaging. And I want people that don't understand at all what trophy hunting is to actually have a real picture and a real story told about what trophy hunting is. So it isn't this like, you know, dark cloud kind of thing. So I just wanted to throw that out there because I, I, I'm not that guy to like, you know, rain (laughs) rain on people's parade. I just, I'm just, I want to make the information available.
0: Yeah. And I don't, I don't really take it that way. I think you're setting a good example and especially having conversations like this. I think that most certainly helps, you know, you're always going to get your guy that probably, you know, has their opinions about you or me or, or whatever, you know, uh, but I think you're doing it right. so.
1: I appreciate that.
0: I was just thinking the same. Like I, if like you said earlier, if, if
2: you're, you know, if that gets your blood pumping, send it. I mean, go ahead. Yeah. And I like, like my, uh, way of relating back to what you're pushing is, you know, my mule deer hunt last year, you know, North Dakota, I had a deer just like Rick's, um, walk 10 yards in front of me. And I'm just like, this isn't what I'm here for, you know, cause I could just feel it. And, you know, and, Part of me, I still came home empty-handed, but, you know, and then the thoughts of, you know, their herd was also struggling last year as well with EHD. Um, it's been really dry out there and everything, so it's like, you know, this is an opportunity for someone else now, and it's going to be bigger for the next guy. Um, you know, sure, I could have shot it, but when I spent how many days out there last year and, you know, put on, uh, you know, X amount of stocks and on bigger, you know, class animals – And then to have one just walk right in front of me, that was the point where I'm just like almost to that quote where I'm like, I'm not mad at it. You know, It's I can't take this. You know, this is Mm -hmm. just too precious. You know, this is for the next person. Maybe maybe there's a kid on the other side of that hill, you know, since I'm out there doing rifle hunting, it's all his. But, you know, it just, it didn't get my blood flowing. But if that's, you know, something that's going to make it like top of the world for you, send it. But for me, it's just you know, 12 straight days of seeing other things and going on other stocks is just kind of like, no, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. we'll wait for this one. Mm-hmm. I'll be back, you know, when you're bigger. So, mm-hmm. or give someone else I've, that chance.
1: So. Totally. I've got a, I've got a cool example of that. I had chased this mule deer all year and he was a good buck. He wasn't a giant, but he was as good a one as I could find. He had some cool characteristics like extra points and stuff. And, uh, one day I'm hunting. And, uh, I'm just cruising down the County road to sort of get to the area where he lived. And I look over and there he is 120 yards off the side of the road. And this was during rifle season. And so I've got my video camera and everything right there. And I, at first I'm like super excited, like, Holy crap, there he is. And so I get out get my camera sneak down, just, you know, inside the fence off the County road, get in the timber right there. And And, uh, I'm like aiming at him and I'm like, ah, this isn't really how I saw this going down. I can't, I don't, (laughs) I don't, I don't feel good about this. This just isn't, isn't for me. So I just filmed him rutting and I was like, and I drove away knowing I wasn't going to see anything bigger. So it wasn't like I, you know, I don't know. I just drove away and I went up to this spot knob where I could just sit because it was getting close to dark. And I put out my spotting scope and I'm sitting there spotting and boom, I hear a shot go off right down where that buck was at. And I'm like, no, please. No. (laughs) So I'm thinking the whole time, like, dang it, Uh, maybe I should have. And I'm kind of having these mixed feelings and. I go down there and there is this guy that is so excited. He cannot even contain himself. Like he is losing it. (laughs) And he is like so happy to see another hunter because he wants a picture with this thing. And he has no way to get a picture. So he's like, just like, you know, walking around hands on the head. Like I've never shot a buck this big. Oh my God, I'm going to mount this. And I I can't wait to get home. And. Can you, do you mind taking pictures? And like, I was so thrilled in that moment that it worked out the way it did, you know? Sure. Yeah, um, that's a great story. And so, yeah, I mean, I, to your point, like, yeah, it, it, it might not get you going and you don't always have to fill a tag, but if that animal lives awesome, or if it goes to a person whose appreciation of that animal is way up here, that's awesome too.
2: hmm Yep. Yep, it's even that much more meaning. Right. I'd say. Yeah. Yeah.
1: That's
0: a cool story.
2: Yeah. Now, since that guy had a shiny object, <laughs> do we jump into it? <laughs>
1: yeah,
0: so this is our this is our new segment we call Shiny Objects where we talk about our current obsession. Uh and um we always like to start out with the guest. So, what is your uh what's your current obsession right now? What do you, what's what's been on your mind a lot lately?
1: Oh, geez, too much, probably. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's, um, you know, for me, I, I would separate that into two things, because there's a shiny object when it comes to my my career and my hunting, and then there's a shiny object when it comes to being a father. And, um, you know, for me, I just want to be a better father all the time. I'm gone a lot, and I have two boys with two different mothers. And so I get them both together every other weekend. And so, you know, the old saying, it's like, it's not, it's not about the, it's not about the time you have. It's about the quality of the time. Um, I'm trying to not be like so busy in my time with them that it's not a hundred percent for them. So for me, you know, my main focus right now is just, enjoying my kids while I can at the age where they're scoring touchdowns and killing their first turkeys, you know, those, I want to be, I want to have more of those days together with my kids. And, um, that's, that's personally the biggest thing I'm chasing in my life as far as, um, you know, outside of, of my career, but within, within my career, I've just, you know, got this selective film coming out. I started this project in 2018. I started writing for this. I started filming for it, planning for it. COVID got in the way, two years couldn't get to Canada, was wondering if it was even gonna happen, and now back into full tilt production. Like this this project has been a lot on me. I mean, getting ready for the hunt, the hunt itself, being physically able, like, you know, that's been a big focus of my life for a long time is that selective film. And now that we're just like right there to, to sending it off and kicking it out, that's really the tip of mind for me. Um, Beyond that, I'm super excited next weekend at Total Archery Challenge at Big Sky. I'm launching a film called Chasing a Ghost, which uh, is a, a film based on my bull elk hunt from last year. And craziest elk hunting story I've ever had um, happened to me personally on the biggest bull of my life, a uh, bull that I had had found in 2017 and knew about him, but never once put eyes on him since 2017 until four hours before I got him. Um, not, no trail cam picks, no nothing. I never once saw the bull on the hoof. Um, until the day I killed him and I thought he was dead years ago that's why I called the film chasing a ghost I didn't I wasn't hunting for that bull anymore I was just hunting for any big bull and and then he showed back up so I'm really excited about telling that story because since I've killed that elk I've had other hunters come forth which is going to be the long version I'm gonna this this version that's going to play attack is like uh, about 13 minutes long The full film will probably end up being about 22 minutes long. I'll show more of my process of um, all the trail cams that I had out, pictures that I got of other bulls. I'll show like his sets of sheds that I have together because I have his sheds from 17 and 18, both sets. And then when I kill them, so I kind of want to lay all those together, talk about that. I'm taking him in to have him aged. We're going to document those guys um, aging him for me. And um, then at the end of the film, I'm going to add in a lot more of the stuff that's come to me since, which has just been fascinating. Uh, the stories of where this bull's been, where other people have seen him, you know, putting little pinpoints on the map and just getting a better picture of this bull's life has been really cool. So, so yeah, that and then this, the, yeah, the, between the selective chasing a ghost and then uh, season fourteen kicking off between the launch of those two films, uh, with the three-part series on the sheep. It's just a lot of, a lot of irons in the fire and a lot of projects that I'm yeah. really excited about. Um, so, uh, that's been the shiny object for me is making sure that I, <laughs> I, I stay the course and just give those projects everything they deserve right to the point where we kick them out. So.
0: That's huge. Yeah, man. Uh, Do you have anything that can top that, man? Uh, No. No, (laughs) No, I'm like, I don't want to talk about my shiny object now because it's like I can't. Wow. I was going to say um, my current shiny object is uh, I'm trying to learn how to be a farmer. So uh, and not in the matter of like food plots or anything like that. Like I'm preparing for the end of the world. So I'm like trying to be a gardener and uh-huh. you know grow uh cucumbers and tomatoes and do that kind of thing and then i you know i didn't draw any tags this year so i'm just going to be whitetail hunting here and i mean if i get i have about a 1 in a billion chance of drawing an elk tag here in minnesota but uh other than that yeah i'm just kind of that's it shooting my new bow and and the you know really the this podcast has really kind of been a, a recent shiny object if we want to kind of talk about what's going on currently in our career because this has been um, just a, an amazing experience uh, you know just and the community is really really awesome. everybody that I've met is amazing and uh, you know also just getting educated too like just even having these conversations with you. Jason, I mean we we've had some brief conversations like out at the ATA show and stuff like that, but it's always so hard to you know, we're always so busy. It's so mm. hard to actually just sit down and have a conversation, you know. So I hope we can do this some more. Um you bet. But, uh, let, let, let's move on to what, what's Hollywood's shiny thing. I don't know. Hmm. Uh I got some small stuff, I guess, not near as <laughs>
2: cool as that, but any of those things. <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah, I I mean one day I'll have to poke your uh uh, brains about getting into sheep hunting, but I know that might have to come with a savings book behind it. So. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, right now, I guess for myself or, you know, my wife and I are under contract for a house. So that's there the, that's the big stressor for me. Um, you but that's a big beyond one Beyond that. Yeah. Yeah. That's huge. I'm, I'm excited and nervous and all the things that come with that. But beyond that would be uh, I did draw so I, I get to go to South Dakota. So, yeah, man. Awesome. uh, so yeah, I'll be oh, very cool. let's kind of start. I got to, you know, shift my mindset to, um, you know, I've been doing a lot of target archery stuff now. It's like, man, it's mid June, you know, busy season here is going to start kicking off for us, you know, for our, our bow strings and everything. Um, and as far as like the pro shop, you know, uh, a lot of tuning work is going to start coming. So I'm like, man, i I better start taking this time while it's slow or slower to really, you know, start, you know, touching out that 100 yards and just practicing that long range just to make everything that much easier. So, I've been focusing, I guess, pretty heavily on getting back into the gym, making sure I'm ready for that. Although, South Dakota looks a little bit flatter than North Dakota. <laughs> <laughs> Have you hunted it? Depends. Before? Either South of Dakota. you? Depends. Okay. Yeah. Cause I know there's, you know, there's parts of Badlands there too. So, um, I mean, it'll be mule deer round two for me. So I'm excited for that. You know, hopefully everything pans out. I I really think we do need some rain though. I don't know how out by you has been, but it's been so dry. So, you know, that's, I guess. We're we're looking really
1: good here right now. We've been getting a lot of rain, but yeah, I don't think they've been getting quite as much on the Eastern half. Um, yeah, but. But yeah, that's yeah, cool. The Black Hills, all that area is really beautiful. One of my favorite tacks I've ever been to is that Terry Peak shoot in South Terry Dakota. That's a good one. Yeah, yeah, that was that was a good one. So
2: there's a one of our uh, frequent customers here. He actually came in. And he had something pop up again. You know, being a father, he he wants to be there for his kid's uh, first playoff birth for baseball. So he wants to go and you know, do that. And he's like, do you want to go to Terry peak? I'm like, mm. I'm like, man, you know, with <laughs> the house and everything. And then that's busy season. I'm like, I don't know. We'll see. But yeah, I've heard Terry peak is pretty fun. I haven't
1: been there. Uh, so it'd be it sweet is. to see that. It's a neat area. It's like the, the shoots fun. It's more low key than probably Utah and big sky. Um, but then you can go see like, you know, Mount Rushmore, Crazy Horse, uh, Deadwood—there's just so many things around that area that are really fascinating too, like Needles Highway. Um, oh yeah, that's there's fun. just so much that's super close right there. So, yeah, I enjoyed that one. What I think the next time I go back, I'll take my boys. Like, I'll probably wait a couple years and then take the boys just so they can see, you know, Crazy Horse, Mount Rushmore, all all those cool things like that.
0: Hmm. Yeah. The Well, um, you spoke about the, um, big sky TAC, which is I think coming up this weekend or no it's next two weekends from yep.
1: next, yep. Weekend, next yeah. weekend.
0: So, and, um, well, by the time this airs, this airs the Monday after that. So, um, hopefully a lot of people get to, uh, your, your showing of, uh, uh, chasing a ghost, uh, but I just wanted to talk about two Big Sky. Uh, I was there two years ago, three years ago. Gosh, I can't remember now. It's been time flies by so fast. But uh, <laughs> I, what I really liked about Big Sky was just the the family oriented environment. There's so many things to do for the whole family. And I think Terry Peak is kind of the same way too. So uh, yeah. But that big sky shoot was was a ton of fun. I, I I'm jealous that I can't be out there, man. I just you know we used to have a booth with them, but things have been just so crazy with that with the new acquisition the last few years. And we're really hoping to get back out there. We're hoping to get a booth back or vapor trail is anyways. Uh, hopefully next year we'll kind of see how this season goes. But um, yeah, my my favorite main attraction at the uh, Terry Peak one is a is an individual by the name of Rick Hansen.
1: oh yeah i like rick he's a goofball i like those guys awesome dude Mm
0: -hmm. good 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 crew over there so don't die rusty yeah yeah oh i got a shirt on i was gonna say you have a shirt on right now shameless
1: plug for rick but uh oh yeah well and uh, for people that can't uh you were saying that this comes out after big sky but um for people that didn't get to see Chasing a Ghost at Big Sky, it will be on rmef.org. So they'll have it on their website as oh, well. Oh, great. Um, the long-form version will be on there.
2: Yeah. Perfect. Sweet.
1: And then we come on Monday nights, Sportsman's Channel, beginning in July. We come on uh, 7.30 Mountain Time, uh, Monday nights. Uh, so there we go. that's where you'll be able to find us on the Into High Country. And then Selective will be out all over online here soon. We're gonna launch it kind of organically here in Bozeman at an event called Ram Rendezvous. Um that's we're stoked about. And uh then after that it's it's gonna go online and kind of we're gonna try to spread that thing everywhere we can get it. So that's the plan. You're not
2: busy at all.
0: (laughs) You have to shoot me the link when it's when it's ready to go. Yeah, we'll, For sure, we'll have to put yeah. that
2: in this episode and everything. If we, well, at least Chasing the Ghost, we can do that.
0: But. Yeah, that's <laughs> the beauty of YouTube is that we can plug links after the fact, you know, after it's already been uh, uh, put up on YouTube. So we'll definitely oh, link sure. to that. Yeah, so Sweet. make sure you guys check out the show Into High Country and uh, the uh, film Selective and also Chasing a Ghost. For sure.
2: Uh, and the rest of this podcast you can find us on instagram
0: at the range podcast um and on facebook you can do that rick how about you uh you can find me at ricky.wayne I G and ricky w bruley on facebook i guess i'll also say people can find me if
2: they really want to on instagram at jake <laughs> iv3 uh and facebook same jake iverson and hollywood in quotations but uh, Jason, how about you? I know we got into the high country uh, in there, but you're on Instagram and maybe Facebook.
1: Yeah, you out no, there? I'm on Instagram and Facebook on under just uh, Jason Matzinger official. So both both platforms are the same thing. So
2: perfect. Nice and easy.
1: Yeah, I like to keep it simple. perfect not me (laughs) yeah once
0: again thank you so much for joining us and uh and with that we are going to pack up our bows and arrows and we're going to leave the range so have a good day everybody peace yeah
1: thanks for having me guys really enjoyed it appreciate it buds jason you bet
0: VaporTrail is now offering an exclusive discount to the range podcast listeners enter promo code trp15 that's t r p 15 at checkout for 15 percent off vtx bowstrings and vapor trail and stokerize branded t-shirts
1: hats and other gear